Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-braced preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Raj Pata. I'm, I'm a Methodist minister working at the United Stockport Circuit in Manchester and Stockport District, but I originally come from the Andhra Evangelical Lutheran Church in India. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. Today, I'm very pleased to introduce my guest, who is Canon Peter Dobson. Peter has been a canon for outreach and discipleship at Newcastle Cathedral, and I'm delighted that he is with us this morning to share his thoughts. Thanks, a very warm welcome, Peter, to this our conversation on politics in the pulpit. Uh, I, I thank you very much for joining, but I'm also glad to see that your role as a canon at the Newcastle Cathedral is to make the sacred space common ground. So yes. that, that's, that's fascinating to read about. So can you tell a little bit more about yourself and whether or not you see yourself as a political pulpit practitioner preacher yourself. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm one of those people that does see that and, and probably is of the opinion that all preaching ultimately is political, that it's about how we see ourselves in the light of our faith in the network of our relationships and our communities. And, you know, I guess really that we, we all have far more influence than we maybe realize as uh, disciples. And I, so therefore I think all preaching is uh, political. And I guess that for me really, I, I'm always conscious that um, so much of my faith and here I am um, is grounded in the community in which, uh, the Christian community in which I grew up, um, which you know was on a, a council estate here um, in Newcastle um, where my parents had lived. We weren't living there by then, but, um, I guess my faith was formed in a, in a very small uh, church in the heart of a community that was changing. And it was changing really because the idea of regeneration was to basically uh, get rid of half of the housing, which was all uh, social or council housing, uh, and to try and uh, improve the area by um, adding lots of owner-occupier housing. Uh, and what it meant really was the, the shifting of the community's life, which uh, initially wasn't necessarily for the good because it, it brought disintegration in it, it ruined some relationships and it, it wasn't what the community had wanted but in the middle of all that really was this this uh, Christian community that previously and still then was pretty um, pretty courageous I always thought and strong in um, relating to lots you know some antisocial behavior some you know some lots of social problems but but it was never judgmental it was always gracious it was always well of course we'll put the, the, the you know the glass back in the windows because that it's it's the community's church it's not ours if this is what's happening and I guess that's where everything's gone from there from being part of a, um, a Christian community that was at the heart of a changing community which had lots of things that were challenges and it was our well there and I guess then my uh, amazing experience to find out just how do we continue to just continue to relate in those mm. circumstances and I guess my ministries um, had that I hope at the heart of it 
uh, you know, ever since. Mm. Super, Peter. And I'm really thrilled as I read about you to know that you are a canon now working in a cathedral and trying to say how best can this sacred space can become a place of radical welcome. Mm. So what has been your experience? Because as a student of public theology, we always understand that our faith has that that two with our church language and the community language. So how do you how do you do public theology in your space? Yes, and, and I think it's, again, I'm one of those people that think our space is, is a great, well, it is a gift to us. And so we have to uh, steward and care for that gift as best we can. Here at Newcastle, um, Newcastle Cathedral's pretty much, it's like almost on a roundabout right in the middle of the city. You know, there's no big green, there's no nice cloister. It's the, the life of the city and the life of the cathedral are bumping up against each other all the time. And, and our our desire is that it's not bumping up against, it's blending with one another. So, so we've only just reopened all through the pandemic. We were doing a huge piece of work, which um, was to reorder the space, make it more accessible, uh, but also make it a place that's much more a public uh, space, a public square. So we, we, we now have a clear floor and, and already the, the, this space is being uh, used in ways that we never were able to before. Um, a big part of the way that the space was being redeveloped was actually to to retell um, some of the stories. So we have around 150 ledger stones and monuments on the floor, mm. which, which is a symbol to us that this has been Newcastle's, before it was a cathedral, it was Newcastle's parish church, right at the heart of the city, as you can hear. <laughs> and, um, and, and our work has been to really find a way to retell those stories, but also with the emphasis, not just on the heritage, but about making sure that the cathedral is a place where the, the stories of the city and the people for whom this is our city are at the heart of what we do. So, so we're developing um, a piece of work around our, we have a very distinctive tower, it's a lantern shape, and there used to be a, a lantern burning in the tower, which uh, used to be like a lighthouse for those coming up the Tyne in in ships and was a significant landmark. So we're developing something called the Lantern Initiative, which is really a piece of work around how the cathedral um, responds, especially to vulnerability, uh, because at the heart of the city, you'll imagine that actually we, we, in a sense, don't have to work very hard to do public mm. theology, I don't think. If we think about public theology in the way I think we ought to think about it, in the sense that uh, the meeting of people in the public square and you know so, so so we do have an awful lot of people who are a part of our community who come to us in, in a whole range of different vulnerability and uh, what we've been trying to do is actually uh, yeah our, one of our, our first value is radical welcome you know how do we make sure that we welcome someone who is uh, you know someone who comes in a, a tweed jacket and salmon chinos the same way that we welcome uh, yeah. someone who's coming with their sleeping bag over their shoulder and having come um and so, so i think our public theology here is as simple as begins at least as simple as that and i guess what we say about radical welcome is that this is a space for all people um one of the things while we were having the work being done that there was hoarding all around the cathedral and uh, one of the images i still have is uh, of the um, our screen as you go into the choir, um, which, which has the, the crucifix and those gathered around it at the cross. 
Um, and it had this image and on the side, making a space for all people. And I thought that was a great image that here was, here was the image of the, the cross inside the cathedral and with the slogan that we, we are about making a space here for all people. Mm. And that our welcome is about, um, what we say about radical welcome is, people say, what, what, what is radical welcome? Well, um, the, the Dean here would say, and it's become our shorthand, that radical welcome is welcoming people to the point where actually we're questioning and maybe uncomfortable and then going further. Mm -hmm. that, that's fascinating, uh, Peter, and I, I really appreciate what you have been doing there. So I'm sure our listeners who are listening to this podcast can reflect on their own spaces, so-called sacred spaces, and, and how each of our sacred space can become that place of radical welcome. So thank you for those insights and for all that you have been doing there at Newcastle. So then from your own context, what would you want us to hear as key justice political issues that are happening today? Yeah, from our context, I think there are a number of things and it comes really from, um, comes out of that radical welcome, because I think that's about encounter, but we all, we all know that um, our faith is not about simply encounters, but how encounters become relationships and relationships build a community. So I guess the issues that come for us, I think, are really those which um, we, because of the relationships we're building here, are, are confronted with. And I think uh, one of the things my colleague who, who does uh, more of the work on the Lantern Initiative, yeah, I sort of have responsibility for it, but John, my colleague, who's wonderful, is, is doing some really great pieces of work about um, really around how certain groups still um, are pretty hidden in our you know, society, whether that's um, those who have a, a background and experience in um, you know, addiction and substance misuse. And, and that's one of the issues I think you know, he and I are really passionate about that actually um, why when, when we do with other issues, think about them as issues of health, why, why do we look at, uh, you know, for instance, drug use as something which is about, uh, we look at that through a criminal lens, not through a public health lens. And that, that's, one of, that's one of the big, um, big issues that we, we are trying to have a voice and trying to move, um, move the agenda on a bit, yeah. really. Um, I would say the, the other for us is, is around homelessness, which is really where lots of the ideas for our um, Lantern Initiative thinking has come from, um, mm. that uh, I think that we, we want to seem to address homelessness in a very neat and tidy way, but we all know that homelessness is, isn't just simply that someone might not have a house. And, uh, you, you know, for instance, you know, spending a fair bit of time last week in the cathedral with a lady, you, you know, who, who is not mentally well, who is, you know, being abused by her neighbour, she does have a house, uh, but but that is not a home, it's not where she, uh, and, and, and she falls through the cracks time and again because of her mental health, because of the fact she yeah. has a house. I would say one of the, the agenda things we're pushing here is that actually, um, in our context, in terms of housing, people can only be helped um, in the area where they're from. Well, actually, how do we honour the fact that some people are wanting to move on in life um, into a place that is new, that actually the place where they once were 
yeah. it is part of the part of the problem. Mm. Um, I, th I think wider than that, we've just been putting together our Lent series, which will be on radical welcome. I think mm. we're really struck, um, you know, beyond our local context, but but still here as well. Yeah. You, you know, around the issues that we're all, all I'm, sh I'm sure, very aware yeah. of in, yeah. in terms of the political landscape being so. Um, fractious that actually we, we, we seem to struggle yeah i think there are just issues around the way that we just seem not to be able to engage on the political spectrum from different parts anymore and that actually that that is bringing a great a greater disintegration generally in, in our common life yeah. I think. Mm, yeah yes peter i think homelessness is a national issue and as churches as followers of christ we're all thinking how to address and situations of vulnerability which are great, and I, we really wish you the best with your work there at the cathedral. But every week, uh, our colleagues at the Joint Public Issues team give us a little roundup about uh, with their experience of what they might think that we want to be keeping an eye on the world this week. So some of their suggestions, as obviously you will know, there are still some ongoing discussions about the conduct by number 10, particularly in the wake of bullying and harassment allegations accusations of blackmail by the party whips to get rebellious MPs on side uh, of Islamophobia by Nusrat Ghani MP. Sue Gray's report on number 10's parties is expected to be released this week. I'm sure this could have had major implications for uh, the prime minister, but how might we imagine a different politics that is truthful, kind and compassionate, which is one of the six hopes of the joint public issues team? And they also continue to give us a context about the tensions in Ukraine as they are escalating uh, uh, and the nationality and borders bill that gets to committee stage in the House of the Lords on the 27th, the global context of Tonga with the impact of the volcanic eruption where aid is still reaching this island, these islands. And this week on the 27th of January is the Holocaust Memorial Day. So resources are there about it from the website of Council of Christians and Jews. And on Tuesday, the first week, uh, February the 1st, we have uh, one year anniversary of the coup in Myanmar and how the junta is destroying villages in their, in their regions. So we, we have such a, a compact, the, I mean, intense politics that is happening across the world. So in such a context, now with our metaphorical use of saying we have newspapers on one hand, now we have the Bible on the other, other hand, so if we have to turn our Bibles now, so I wonder if there was any particular passage or a particular theme or a question that, that comes out for you from the readings for this week. Yeah, I, I, and as you say, there's, there's just such a huge, huge amount to be thinking about, isn't there? But I, I, I think that the, the, the theme, I think, that I, that I came to think about trying to connect my context with what else was going on in the world and with this week's texts it's actually around that word disintegration that I, I just I, I think across this week's lectionary readings there's this it, you know in the, in the prophecy of Jeremiah it's beginning with um, uh, understanding where we get our value that actually um, that there's something about especially for the, in his case for a difficult task and uh, sense of vocation but actually understanding our value is, is so very important in terms of reducing disintegration, it seems to me, in the readings this week. Because 
I'm just really struck by, you know, for instance, some of the stuff that's happening in our, in our politics here in this country and the conduct of uh, ministers and um, 10 Downing Street. And I, I just wonder if, if, if actually some of this behaviour in, in the end comes out of um, this sort of, um, we become defensive of ourselves. We want, we want to get things back for ourselves. Uh, we're looking for value in the wrong places. And, and actually, if, if we understood our value, we are in a place where we're much more able to be with one another at, rather than doing to each other and seeing each other as commodities. And, you know, I think it's been really fascinating, I think, the, the way that uh, last week's readings uh, blend into this week's readings. And I, and I think the, you know, some, some, some times that happens and sometimes it doesn't, but I was really struck by how much that has is happening this week and, and how, you know, in, in the letter, the first letter of the Corinthians, we go from um, all that the body of Christ and the body metaphor has to tell us about um, not competing with one another, but valuing one another to, to, to what it means to be loving. And, and of course, we hear the 1 Corinthians 13 passage um, so often, unfortunately, uh, dis disengaged from the body metaphor. You know, we, we think of it, we spend a lot of time thinking about what it says to us about love. But of course, I, I, I think for Paul, you, you, that, that's the wrong, the wrong way to look at it. You know, the, Paul, Paul is speaking about, of course, how we build community, how we build the Christian community, but I'd argue also how we, how the Christian community gives us a model for, for community, which is, which is not based on me and my, but mm. on ours and what my, my conduct and my behavior, how that affects the greater whole. Um, one of the things I got for Christmas was uh, a great, uh, Book, it's a translation of the, you might have come across this, the, here it is, the, the First Nations version um, of the New Testament. So it's a, it's a translation of the New Testament um, by the indigenous people of the Turtle Islands, which of course North North America. Um, and the transition between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 in there is really helpful, I think. It reads there, I want you to set your hearts on the chief gifts the ones that will bring the greatest blessing to the sacred family. Uh, and I, I think um, that those who've translated this version of the New Testament uh, talk really movingly at the beginning of the translation about, um, you know, how these words might affect those who've suffered dominance and those who've had, you know, the church or colonialism's taken things from them because we haven't been able to see humanity as a whole. We haven't been able to understand one another as gift. We've seen each other as, um, even in the life of the church, especially in the missionary work of the church, we've seen one another as almost commodity. And, yeah. and we need to get back to gift and dwelling <coughs> dwelling together. And, and all of that other stuff, you know, in 1 Corinthians, yeah. it's just not about being a body, but that we're members of one another. Uh, and that love is the pinnacle of all that. Mm. And uh, so I'm really struck by how, um, and I guess it's some, you know, some of the Sam Wells stuff that actually, it seems to me that this week's texts are, are encouraging us to understand how we, how we work out our faith and therefore our life 
mm. by being with one another, not mm. doing two or even just being alongside. It's the being with and one of one another, which, which I think is part of what the gospel tells us about how, how we avoid this disintegration, which, which allows for the behavior which um, is self-seeking, which allows for um, power to become something which gets greater and greater in some forms, forums and not in others. And corruption creeps in when we when we begin to not recognize how we're connected to one another. Yeah, well, I, I think fascinating, uh, Peter, the, the way you try to knit about value, worth, and then our being together as a community. And I, I really like the way you put it, like how I, me, and mine have been such a slippery ground for all of us, where we tend to slip away. But what Paul is inviting us is to be with one another. So, I mean, if I may have to coin a word, I'm just thinking witness as witness. We need to be with people together and celebrating that. And as you also said, love is the pinnacle for all of this. So, but I mean, unfortunately, love today is, again, such a tricky word. People tend to use it for all sorts of things, which is good. We, we, we thank God for people for this gift of love. But particularly in this context, of politics in the pulpit, what do you think are some some take home for us to understand the political love or the politicalness of love in the context of church, community, and the nation today? Yes, I mean, I, I think it's as you say, love has become like a. Well, a colleague of mine says this about community, and I think we probably sometimes use community the same way we sometimes use love as a sort of spray spray in word when, when we don't know what to do we just give a you know yeah. scooch of love scooch of community and we think we've solved it all but but i guess um i guess love in the gospel context is is something which is thoroughgoing and it's mm. hard isn't it and i think i guess in the sense that um it's almost that sense that again in, in all of those in, in all of our scriptures this week um that that love is prophetic you know mm. and the sense that um love never leaves us where we are yeah. you know and I, and I think that's the political edge of love that that with kindness and care and um value being added all those things about love which we all agree on but there's also this other side that love is also challenging and that love you know that we can't we can't we we can't disentangle love from truth yes and i think that's where the court of justice comes that actually um we can be we can be too frankly we can be too good at love that's nice and kind and caring yeah. and and what we see in our scriptures this week is that when, when love is true and also speaks challenge and discomfort into a situation yeah. uh, people don't want love anymore P people yeah. want uh, you know i think that there in jeremiah and there in, in, in this week's gospel with jesus um you know jesus it seems to me jesus is really saying is that when we are able uh, to be with one another so fully, prophecy won't come from outside. Prophecy will come from within. We won't see we won't see the prophetic voice as the thing we want to distance. The the prophetic um, 
the, the call and the challenge and justice will be a, a part of the whole from within the community. And that really, if, if, if we want to find true love, we have to form communities that allow us to, to do that. And we have to be, and I think until we get there, we have to find the courage as Jeremiah did, as he had no choice but to, but uh, to be the outside voice and that, and to see that as, as an act, yeah, act of love. Hmm. Well, I mean, profound, profound, Peter, because the way you bring in love, community, prophetic uh, nature, justice, I think that defines uh, how how love should be for us in our times. And as you can see where Jesus in the Luke's gospel, after being at the synagogue in Nazareth and then reading the scriptures, now he tries to speak to them, that community, and the way he picks up the two examples in Luke chapter 4, verses 21 to 31, is the, the, the widow of Zarephath and Elijah and then uh, Naaman the Syrian. So the way he was talking in a Jewish context of speaking people who are outsiders for them and both of them and in a way trying to say love is all about inclusion. I mean, the way he was trying to challenge them as he read these scriptures and that was the reason people did not like that kind of preaching, that kind of politics in the pulpit that Jesus did and he, they, they even uh, tried to push him off the cliff. Yeah, because they want, again, it's, it's almost like a commodifying the savior, isn't it? The, the Messiah that we, we, we want him for, that we, we want this, even if we don't really want this version, but we, we do, we want it for us. Yeah. And, and that temptation there is, I think, um, in all of us. And, and frankly, the temptation sometimes in our church, churches and church communities that, um, you know, there, sh there should be no frontier, should there? There should, there should be no extreme where people do not feel that they are, that they are a part of it. And I think we, you know, we see that I feel really privileged to be a part of a community here where, where just because of the place God gives us in Newcastle Cathedral and the people God gives us, day by day, we, we are frankly, we, we'd like to say we're welcoming, but day by day, we're still challenged by, by different yeah. people who are one with us, but who come to us and bring something that we could consider a problem, but we ought not, that the, the people who come, you know, are, are, are God's gift to us, all, all people, and, you know, hopefully us to them. And I, and I think that, as you say, in, in Luke chapter four, what, what we have is, you know, that, what, that what wonderful uh, announcement of Jesus' ministry and, and immediately wanting to create a frontier, an in-group, uh, a place where it will be, and a place where it won't. And, and you know, and Luke's masterful way of, um, you know, moving this much earlier than, than Matthew and Mark. And this is, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long, a long contrived challenge and conflict for the others, isn't it? Whereas Luke's, Luke's just saying, well, this is, you know, let, let's be honest. This is the way people are going to want to do. That. This is the way people are going to want to use, use the gospel, and we ought not to be like that. Yeah. I think which is very important because Jesus is saying it is not about passive love, but as you said, it is about prophetic love, where it is about truth, it is about inclusion, it is about community. Mm -hmm. And after reading Isaiah's scripture, Jesus is saying, giving them 
two examples of Elijah and Elisha, two great prophets, but again, not of their other ministries, but particularly with Naaman the Syrian and the widow who were considered to be on the margins and outsiders and trying to say a prophetic love for our times today is all about inclusion, celebrating because gospel is coming from the outsiders. Yeah. And are we, do we have some openness to receive, to listen, and to see that we all celebrate together our own uh, individual identities and celebrate that diversity is what I see as part of this prophetic love that Jesus was preaching at that synagogue in Nazareth. Absolutely right. I think that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then moving on to Jeremiah, again, a prophet who begins his call, his ministry, and the way he recollects his call was something fascinating where he said that God has called him as a, as a boy or a child. And then he, God has already preordained him before even he thought of. And that's how people, I mean, God calls us into faith. It is not because I am because of what we are, but faith is a gift of God and God calls us in God's own ways, in God's own times. And that's how we see from uh, Jeremiah's, again, that prophetic love that he reflects and reflects on his own call. And, and that rootedness, you know, I think, you know, two things I was really struck by reading the Jeremiah passage over the last week again was that, you know, it, it's, there's a sense for the, for the prophet and, and the prophetic and those of us when we're in difficult circumstances that, you know, that, that profound sense of being rooted in God and, and, God, and what God is doing uh, through us and because of us. Um, but more than that, that's, that, that, that beautiful sense there is in, the, in these verses of um, our very life, and like you say, everything we're doing coming from the heart of God, but actually the, the whole of our lives being about trying to stay close to the heart of God, that, that, that the whole community is able to be close to the heart of God, mm. that, that, we're, that, that we're all feeling the heartbeat. But actually mm. what we've done is that we've created rings you know, concentric circles out from the heart of God that, that we've pushed people into when actually we're, we're all being called to help help one another stay close to, to that sense of who God hmm. made us to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, again, it is fascinating see, to see how when Jeremiah was called uh, in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10, uh, it is written that God has called him to pluck up and pull down to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And there is so much of that prophetic love. So how do you how do you understand this call for Jeremiah to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant? Yeah, I, I think that, um, if I'm really honest, I think it's always a challenge, it's a challenging verse, I, I think, in the sense that, um, you know, that sense of which, you know, more of it's uh, destructive than it is, constructive isn't it and i think that's the um but i think the way it ends about building and planting is the that yeah. is the key to it and that, that's not just trying to be all sort of soft and liberal about it but it, you can't have one without the other and i think sometimes um there is a readiness to pluck and pull down like i say in the sense that we, we can sometimes do that not not in a true or just or God-given manner that we're just being destructive, but the destructive always has to be uh, held together with the constructive, and you know the, the the challenge always has to be joined with the more 
hopeful element and that that we and I think this is part of the part of what it means to be with one another that actually we've got to be like I said the prophetic has, has to do those things which are challenging and plucking and pulling and destroying and overthrowing uh, but that can't ever be where we leave it and I think and, 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 and if we look around you know all of the you know the stories that come out from the places where actually frankly we have intervened you know for instance our nation has intervened um, in, in the lives of others. We've done a lot of plucking and pulling and destroying and overthrowing and yeah. not enough of the building and the planting. And, you know, we look at what's happening, say, today in Afghanistan and we, we, we will have different opinions about where all that began. Mm. But, but I would think that the challenge now is what about the building and the planting? Yeah. Where yeah. things have changed and we've been part of the catalyst for change it's that I think part of the challenge also in, in those verses of Jeremiah is that you know prophetic love and you know politics in action from the pulpit is a long it's a long game it's a long yeah. haul we don't we don't we can't just get in and get out of it quickly no. then it we have to it's about commitment and faithfulness as much as it is about the and I think sometimes I worry that those who think they're particularly good at the prophetic, it can be, it can be, you know, a big flash and it can be big, yeah. big lights and I'm doing this, but yeah, but actually then what, what's happening next? And there's often a whole load of other people around who are left picking up the pieces. But, yeah. but I think the challenge here is that we are never called to do the, the harder stuff without doing also the picking up of the pieces. No, I mean, indeed, uh, Peter, I think you have you have summarized it so well. For we need to hold what you call politics, pulpit, practice, and action hand in hand. Otherwise, we can't take anything in isolation. And yeah. I, also, I also like the way you put deconstruction and construction together. I mean, most times, if you think prophetic is only about deconstruction, but Jeremiah's call invites us, it is about also about reconstruction. So I think we need to take all these six phrases together, in a sense, to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, to overthrow, and mainly to build and to plant. Yeah. And for that building and planting, I think uh, prophetic nature is partial. So I think the call, what we see from Jeremiah's uh, text is for us to hold this paradox together, the deconstruction, construction, and reconstruction, and how we can make a difference in our world. And that nicely takes us to the psalm for this week, which is from Psalm 71, where again, prophet is trying to say, oh Lord, you are my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save. I mean, we have heard these word, words several times of how God is our refuge. So in the context of, again, the crisis for people who are branded as refugees, asylum seekers, again, this nationality bills coming up and equalities bill coming up, how do we, how do we translate God as a refuge for our times today, people. Yes, I mean, I, I've been really struck very recently that um, we, we hear, you know, again, what you were saying about trying to, you know, God speaks to us in our context uh, about the things that are also happening in a wider context, it always seems to me. You know, we, we here at the cathedral in Newcastle are, are welcoming a, a much greater number of refugees all of, all of a sudden. And um, 
it's interesting when you say how 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 do we make I think it's about making God as a refuge real is actually our, our call. It, it, there, there is the stuff that we, we can write about how how we challenge um how we challenge a sort of harsh and not loving response. Mm. That, that there is stuff about welcome and hospitality, but but I, I think the question is almost about how 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 are we, you know, as the body of Christ in the world today, becoming a refuge for those mm. who don't know where to look? And and I I think again, it's that it's that um, making sure that we're we're preaching the message, but then we're also doing something with those who are in those circumstances. And I think, you know, I think for us, actually part of the, and this is a, t- a tiny thing, and, and I should say that in in our context here, there's many, many more churches in and around Newcastle doing many much more than we are. But, you know, in terms of what we're doing with those who have chosen to come and be a part of this place, it, it has been so much around actually um, relationships and how, you know, gathering together um, after different times of the week, and you know, finding a way that actually we, we can share a, you know, we, we didn't have a, a way of sharing a meal until recently, and that now we're trying to find ways uh, to share a meal on a Sunday. So it's not just coming along and then having to walk miles back to their hotel, uh, you know, on the, the eight pound a week that those who are, who are fortunate to get that, and many aren't. So, so I, I think the, the, the stuff I was struck by by today's only speak song was actually, um, as we know that God is a refuge, how, how do we enable other, other people to know yeah. that God is a refuge? And the answer is, it seems to me, that we, go, we, we, we become the refuge. Mm. I mean, profound again. Thank you very much, Peter. I think that you have, you have summarized it so well. If God is our refuge, those of us who believe God is our refuge, the call is that you and I are called to be a refuge. Yeah. And our spaces are called to be refuge. And if you can be and become like that, I'm sure we are truthful to our call and are following Jesus Christ relevantly for our time. So thank you very much, Peter, for these conversations. I think to summarize what you have said, you have, you have, you have said it really clear and loud about prophetic love, about uh, how we present our witness in a community and how we practice our politics in the pulpit and also about planting, how we plant in terms of that construction providing an alternative as a church, as faithful followers. I think this is profound. And thank you very much, Peter, for giving us such an interesting conversation uh, and joining us this week uh, with your wisdom and with your knowledge and experience. So all God's blessings, Peter, in your ministry there at Newcastle. And uh, we look forward to hear more stories about the radical welcome as you minister in your context there uh, in Newcastle. So... uh, and thanks to the rest of us who are joining us uh, who, as listeners every week. And we are encouraged by all your comments. Uh, if you have enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We know that our listeners are a passionate and knowledgeable crowd. And we would love to build a community of mutual learning and encouragement around the podcast. So this series... We are asking for your questions ahead of each episode and to hear your thoughts afterwards. And the best place to join the conversation is on Twitter uh, at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag 
politics in the pulpit or on our Facebook community, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues team's Facebook page and their website, jointpublicissues.org.uk. So each week, I want to end with a question. And this week, we are asking uh, my question for all of us to think for us during this week, as we have heard from Peter about the prophetic love and from the reading from Jeremiah, from Paul's letter to Corinthians, from Luke and from Psalm 71. My question for all our listeners this week is, what does the call of Jeremiah to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant with love, with prophetic love means for us today? Shall I, allow me to repeat the question again. What does the call of Jeremiah to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant with love, with prophetic love means for each of us in our faith and in our following Jesus today in our public spheres today. So I'm sure each of us will engage with that question and all of us will make politics in pulpit more uh, interactive space where we can engage, converse, learn together, and grow together and celebrate the faith that God, that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's go into the world, both our, our politics and our pulpits with a blessing. Uh, and the blessing for this week is, may each of us be anointed by God to know that God has called us, God, God is the one who has given us faith to go into the world to deconstruct, construct and reconstruct so that we can together make the kingdom of God a reality and possibility in our own localities. God's blessings to all of us. Amen.